You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Two recent abductions and then murders of two young college women in two different states have brought up the question, who can you trust nowadays? And left many and family members saying, why did these two young women trust the individuals they did who ended up taking their lives? We do live in a dangerous world, an issue where trust is a matter not just of concern, but you could say at many times it's a matter of life or death. As Christians and followers of Christ, we speak about trusting God. But why? Why should we trust God? And what does it mean to trust God? So I want to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to to many of us. Uh, It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's very early in Jesus' ministry. He finds himself in Galilee uh, and goes to an unspecified mountainside, hillside, gathers his disciples together and talks to them about trust. What does it mean to trust God, to trust him? And so you'll notice as you look at Matthew 6, we always want to understand the context around the text that we're looking at. So what's going on right before this in the earlier part of Matthew? Well, Jesus talks about prayer. He talks about almsgiving, responding to the needs of others. And he also speaks about the importance of fasting and then accumulating treasures in heaven. And then he turns his attention to a question that is related to all three, and that is putting your trust in him. Look with me at verse 25. Therefore, which indicates or some kind of conclusion Jesus is making at this point, I tell you, do not worry about your life, 
about what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Proper understanding of trusting God, proper understanding of what is Jesus talking about here begins by discerning the difference between worry and concern. And we tend often in our Christian lives, I think, to go to one or the other. And it's difficult for us to maintain a healthy balance. You'll notice here in this account, whatever translation you might have before you, uh, will either say, do not worry or take no thought. And that phrase is repeated four times in this section from verses 25 through 34. Well, it would be helpful to understand the word worry here, or what we might equate with being anxious or anxiety, is to find yourself consumed, fearful, distracted, or divided in your mind by whatever those concerns might be. Whereas concern would be a, a healthy awareness of something, but not that it consumes us or so distracts us that we lose the spiritual focus that we should have in our lives. This is best illustrated in, in two different examples in Scripture in the New Testament, and I'd like you to turn to each of these with me, um, is Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we have in verses 41 through 42, the account of Jesus in the home of Mary and Martha. And it's very important that we discern the difference between worry and concern, between being wrongfully distracted and divided and having a proper concern about something that maybe we are facing or someone we know is dealing with. So if you look with me at Luke 10, in this situation, you may be aware of you have Mary and Martha. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, and Martha is busy sort of getting all the preparations and feels somewhat neglected in this process. And so you pick up verse 41. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The same phrase that's used in Matthew 6, here used of Martha, you, you are worried, you are distracted and divided by many things. But notice what he says there about Mary. Mary has chosen what is better. And isn't this the challenge that lies before us every day, is to distinguish between growing anxious and worried over something and being concerned about it. Jesus did not say here, uh, Mary's chosen what is good and you've chosen what is bad. No, no, Martha's concern was a legitimate concern. You're having a guest in your home. You're to extend hospitality to them. So those concerns were legitimate to the point of them not becoming a distraction. Martha has chosen what is better. And then I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
and Paul's counsel to a church that finds itself dealing with the opposite extreme, a, a genuine lack of concern, a, a lack of responsibility among the body. Second Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians chapter three and verses seven through 10. And the reason I'm pointing out this distinction is one, it is biblical, but to remove from your thinking any sort of false ungodly guilt you may have and sometimes saying, well, I, sh I shouldn't even think about this. Well, may, there are things you should be concerned about, you should be praying about, but they should not distract you. Second Thessalonians 3, listen to what Paul says here in verses 7 through 10 to this group of believers who are going to be hearing this read to them. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Paul's saying there, there's a legitimate concern that we should have in life. Concern to provide for our loved ones, a concern to maintain and meet the God-given responsibilities we have, such as paying your taxes, other things like that. It would be wrong in the eyes of God for you as a Christian to say, well, I shouldn't give that any thought. You know, that, that's just a God thing. But to be consumed by that and distracted by it and to be so thinking about it constantly that it takes your eyes off of Christ, that becomes worry. That becomes anxiousness and anxiety. And so very early in Jesus's ministry, knowing what lies ahead, not just for himself, but for his disciples, says, I, I want to talk to you about the difference here between worry and concern. What does it mean to put your trust in me? Let's return to Jesus's sermon here in Matthew chapter six, because Although the first century is very different from the 21st century, clearly worry and anxiety mark both worlds. And in light of that fact, Jesus reminds us of something that we probably all would nod our heads in agreement, but we often don't act that way. And that is worry is useless and worthless. Worry is useless and worthless. And let's add to that, worry is destructive on so many different levels. And let's point this out. You notice in Matthew 6, verse 27, the rhetorical question, which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Now, some older translations used to read there, can add a single cubit. And we think of cubit in terms of measurement or height, but it seems more appropriate here to say, which of you by looking at your life and trying to make it longer can actually do that? I mean, we speak of the importance of health, taking care of ourselves, 
and that's a present concern, I think for all of us, a legitimate concern. But at the same time, are we able to extend our lives beyond the point that God has decreed already for us? The one who knows our exact days and years? What a foolish thing to think that somehow we can navigate beyond what God's sovereign will has decreed. But notice if you look further at verse 30 through 32, worry and anxiety is destructive and revealing. Beginning at verse 30, we read, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, just stopping there for a moment, remember who he's talking to, his disciples. He's not talking to the unsaved populace in Galilee, the hardened Pharisees and Sadducees. He's talking to this group of 12 individuals who, who have left when he called them. And he's saying to them, you know what? If, if you're consumed with these things, this is what it reveals. You have little faith. Now notice he does not say you have no faith because we could argue they, they displayed faith. They're there with him. They, they've walked away from family, from business. But Jesus says this sort of attitude, if it consumes you and marks your life, reflects an inadequate faith. That somehow you're not really grasping who God is and who you are because you belong to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, worry and anxiety, apart from if you have some physiological cause that needs to be addressed, is a spiritual issue. It's revealing a, a fault line in your theology and understanding of God and his promises. But it goes on there in verse 31 through 32. It says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we drink or what shall we, or excuse me, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In other words, an anxious, overly consumed fear of what will tomorrow bring? What about this? What about that? Reflects a characteristic that actually marks people who don't know Christ, who don't know their Heavenly Father. The word pagans there simply means Gentiles, unsaved. We should expect those who don't know Christ to be consumed with worry and fear. That should not surprise us at all. But we should anticipate that, that that's, that's how their conversations are going to go. That's how they're going to kind of live their life in constant fear and worry. Very different from those who belong to Christ who are concerned legitimately, but they take those concerns, as we'll see, and trust in God. 
obviously it's not something that just these first group of early disciples needed to hear, but it's something all of us need to hear and relearn over and over again in our Christian experience. But discerning the difference between worry and concern is the start of understanding this passage. That's where we began in verse 25. But we also want to look at what are those distractions, those worries that take our mind off of Christ, that make us focus on what we can see before us rather than him who is invisible. And so you notice again in verse 25 and throughout this text, we're given three areas that kind of cover all of life. What you eat, what you drink, and what you wear. In other words, it is very easy for us to get focused on these three legitimate areas, but to the point where they consume and distract and divide us in terms of our trust in God versus our trust in our own abilities, what we can do in modern technology and advancements that are before us. Notice in this discussion, Jesus never says what you eat, what you drink, what you wear is not important. He never says that. He's saying that those are concerns. That's a part of life. You're in this world. This is what consists of life. But if you look closely there at verse 25 in Matthew chapter 6, notice the end of that verse or about midway through. Jesus says, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Yes, these things are important, but stop and think. Are they really the most important thing? And I'm glad all of you gave come concern when you got up this morning what clothes you were going to put on. That's a good thing. You gave some concern to that, some thought. But in the big picture of everything as you're sitting here this morning, is that really the most important decision that you will make today? Is what you'll have for lunch, for dinner? That's important. You need to think ahead. But is that really the most important decision in life? Jesus sets this in perspective and says, you need to look at this issue in terms of what is of greatest value. And I find this very striking, given that we live in a day and an age where people speak so much about the quality of life, that, that we want people to feel that they should maintain a certain quality of life. And often their thinking is that quality of life includes physical health. But yet nowhere in scripture do you see that ever implied or taught. Nowhere do you see Jesus saying the quality of life is quote unquote happiness. That I just want you to be happy. You don't see that in scripture. Now you see Jesus speaking of your joy is in me. I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. But Jesus' definition of the quality of life 
is wrapped up in the Westminster Confession of Faith. What's the purpose of life? To glorify God and enjoy his presence forever. That is of greater value than what you will wear, what you will eat, and any other task you could think of. Coming back to the text, notice in verse 26 and verse 27, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then he goes on and says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Notice Jesus cuts right to the heart of what, what is the value and purpose of life. This is why you, you get into some interesting discussions with people who are not Christians who approach the value of life if they do so from an evolutionary standpoint. That makes you no different than an animal. It diminishes the true value of life. Whereas from a biblical Christian worldview, we're saying, well, you're created in the image of God. You have intrinsic value because of whose image you were made to reflect. Because if man is nothing different than an animal, if we've all come from the same primordial soup, then why should we care if two young women are murdered? Because you could argue in theory, right, it's no different than a dog getting hit by a car, than an animal dying. What's the big deal? This is what it is. Just the process in life. Notice we all bristle at that. We would find that callous. Why? Well, we're assuming that there is greater value. But that value is only found in a Christian worldview. So in looking at this, we see that there are many things in life that can distract us. Legitimate concerns, what you eat, what you put on, what you drink, those are elements in life, but they're not the most important elements. Notice verse 34. I don't know what your week has before you, but hopefully you'll remember this verse. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And we've already seen the proper biblical balance. This is not saying don't plan for the future. It is wise to think ahead. You have parables, proverbs that mention that. But it's saying here, if you think by somehow worrying about everything that could go wrong this coming week, is that going to change anything? And all it reflects is your lack of knowledge and understanding of God. Charles Spurgeon relates the story of seeing an elderly woman in his congregation who he would like to visit. And often in the visit, she was a Christian, uh, but she would say to him, I'm just so worried because if I live till 80, I'm not going to have enough to get by. And he would always pray with her and leave. But most times he visited her, she would always say to him, I don't know what I'm going to do if I live till 80. 
I won't have enough to get by. And then he ends the story by saying, she died when she was 70. What was his point? God was faithful to provide as long as he gave her life and breath. And that's exactly what Jesus is illustrating here to his disciples. As long as God has called you and gives you life and breath, he will provide for your very needs. I wonder how this looked to them when they saw Christ on the cross and heard him speak about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then seeing him take his last breath and give up the spirit. We might say, looking at that physically, it would look like, I guess, God left him. But we know even in that moment where he bore our sins, and in a sense experienced that separation that sin does entail from a holy God, that yet he was never abandoned by his Father. That God had promised he would not abandon the soul of the servant of God to corruption. So even in those circumstances, this word would be true. God is always faithful. But why is this subject of such importance, obviously, to future disciples? Well, I think we've sort of touched on that. It reveals what is truly in your heart. It is easy for us to speak about trusting in God when life is good, when all your bills are paid, when there's no car breakdown or maintenance issues, or your health is perfect. But it's when those things which are a part of living in a sinful world begin to be stripped away, that reveals where is your trust? Not what do you believe, but beyond that, where is your trust? Notice right before this part of Christ's instruction, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus talks about building treasures in heaven. In other words, we often think of you can't take it with you. Jesus would say, send it ahead of you. You know, how you're living now should be treasures being invested in heaven. But listen to what he says there in verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where the thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the important point of this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we trust in is revealing. It says, where is your heart? Where is your attention? Where is your focus? Now, as the disciples are listening to this, Jesus does what he always does. He doesn't just stop and say, well, I've diagnosed your problem. Here's what it is but he provides a course of action for them. 
In other words, Jesus now goes on to tell them and us, how do you focus your mind on what is of eternal value? How do you do that in a world where there are so many distractions, so many things because we're still sinful that we worry about, that we get consumed with? Well, again, go back to Matthew 6, but this time verse 26. And Jesus is very clear. How do you develop a mind that learns to trust in God? Well, verse 26, he simply says, look at the birds of the air. In other words, meditate on the providence of God. As you're out and about in life, just sometimes notice, well, look at creation. Remember, he's on a hillside. So I think he probably actually stopped and, and pointed and said, look, look at those, look at those birds flying by. What a reminder how God cares for them. As he would say elsewhere, not, not even a sparrow falls to the ground without your father fully aware of what is happening. But he doesn't just speak of the birds of the air. Notice he speaks of the flowers and the lilies. Imagine a Jewish mindset hearing that as, as great as you know Solomon was and all of his splendor and glory and wealth, he doesn't even come close to the glory and beauty of flowers. So Jesus points them and says, take time. Now, not to just look at a tree or look at a blade of grass, but think about how that speaks of the providence and care of God. Now, that's a very general principle because the same world you look at is the same world an unbeliever looks at. But where Jesus goes next is not just think of God's general providence, his general care as creator, but then think about the unique privilege that you belong to him. Because you see in verse 32, when he references, you know, the pagans, they run after all these other worries and anxieties. But he says, you, you have a heavenly father. Your heavenly father knows all that you need. There's a distinction. He doesn't say the pagans heavenly father. He says, no, no, they don't know God as father. He's creator to them, if that at all. But no more than that. You know him as your heavenly father. So whatever those concerns that quickly become worries and anxiety in your life, pull back for a moment and just kind of ask yourself, do, do I have a heavenly father? Am I a child of God in Christ Jesus? So consider God's providence, his general care over creation. Think about the privileges that you have in Christ. You are a child of the king. But then also seek to saturate your mind with God's word. Because you notice in verse 33, it says, but indicates 
that group we've just talked about, pagans, you're not like that because you have a heavenly father. You are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And you might want to note that that word here, seek, is the same word run in verse 32. Pagans run after, they seek after, trying to meet all these things in their own strength. You're not to run after those things. You're to run to seek God's righteousness and God's kingdom first. How do you do that? Putting God's word into you. Saturating yourself with reading scripture, thinking scripture, breathing scripture. This is why in Philippians 4, Paul gives you that wise counsel from God that there are certain thoughts we all wrestle with that we need to have removed from us on a daily basis. But the way to get those removed is not simply to say, I can't think about that. Because if I said to you now, don't think about finances, what are you going to start thinking about? Finances. But in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, here's what you should be thinking about. Think about what is sound, what is good. In other words, Basically, think about what Scripture tells you. Think about the character of God. So when you begin to grow anxious, turn your mind and say, God, draw me back to what I've read, to what you've told me you are like, to your many promises that you have made. Many, many years ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones stood before his congregation in London preached from this same text, and he said, I, I think as Christians we are confused. He said, I think we misunderstand that to believe on God is different from trusting in God. That we are quick to say, I believe on God for my salvation in Christ, and at the same time we often live lives that show we do not truly trust God. Because when concerns and things come into our lives, we immediately try to solve it and fix it ourselves. And maybe ask God for help, but at the same time, we're still trying to do it ourselves. What a lesson that Christ needed to start to teach his disciples that he would continue to reinforce throughout his ministry. So as hopefully followers of Christ, whatever comes our way this week, may we display that we've heard what Jesus has said. And just like the early disciples, we need to understand what it does mean to trust God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who is worthy of not just worship, but our complete trust and confidence. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here that as they deal with situations in their lives, are dealing with situations even at present, that their faith would be refined and made strong. Help us to realize that what we worry about reveals our lack of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.